Hi, everybody. It's Bean. Welcome to an all-new Great Moments in Weed History. Now, I have to give you a warning at the very top of this episode because it's going to blow your fucking mind, man. Truly, our guest this weed, Chris Bennett, is a self-described religious reformer who has been intensively researching the ancient history of cannabis for nearly 30 years. He's the author of five books, including Cannabis and the Soma Solution, Sex, Drugs, Violence, and the Bible, and his latest, Cannabis, Lost Sacrament of the Ancient World, which was just published this month. My conversation with Chris left me astounded by how central cannabis was to the spiritual practices of the ancient world, and how much hard evidence exists proving it. If you listen to the episode of this podcast titled, Did Jesus Use Cannabis to Perform Healing Miracles?, you know that it was largely based on Chris's research, which I first encountered about 20 years ago when it, you guessed it, blew my fucking mind. And if you haven't heard our episode about Jesus and weed already, please check it out. It will make a perfect companion piece to what you're about to hear. But first, I want to give a big shout out to everyone who supports Great Moments in Weed History on Patreon. Your support inspires me to make the best show possible. This Weeds episode is a great example of that. You know why? Because it's going to fucking blow your mind, man. Now, if if you want to join our online family on Patreon, please visit greatmomentsinweedhistory.com where you can sign up for as little as $1 per month and get access to the video version of the show, plus our exclusive secret sessions and tons more bonus content. Remember, the main podcast, what you're listening to right now, comes out every other weed or, you know, every other week if you're in L7 Square. So if you want a new episode each and every weed, you have to join Patreon to get access to the secret sessions and additional bonus content. That's a bit confusing. If you're already baked, that's totally cool. Might have slipped by you. Now is the point to hit that 30-second back button for the rest of us, you can go to greatmomentsofweedhistory.com, put five on it, or for a bit more, you can get a signed copy of my book, How to Smoke Pot Properly, delivered directly to your door. You may have been smoking weed incorrectly this whole time. Uh, Probably not. But uh, really... It's a good book. I think you'll like it. And uh, you'll be supporting the show. In the meantime, let me tell you, it ain't easy being green, folks. This podcast is shadow banned and throttled and censored and dry docked and peanut buttered and some other things I haven't made up a word for yet. The upshot being Patreon is one of the few platforms that doesn't discriminate us for being a show about weed, and that actually helps us stay afloat so we can all get high on history together and share these important stories with the world. And in doing so, blow their fucking minds, man! So please visit greatmomentsinweedhistory.com and throw in on this shit. Seriously, you. The one thinking about it and then kind of going, nah, or I'll do it later, hear my voice. If you dig this show, like really dig it, we need your help to keep going. And you can do just that at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. Also, please tell your friends about this podcast. In particular, if you've got a friend who listens to a lot of Joe Rogan, this would be a great episode to lure them in with because, and I cannot Stress this enough, it's going to blow your fucking mind, man or woman or non-binary stoner. Uh, Now, before we delve deep into our conversation on ancient cannabis history, I want to make clear that everything Chris talks about in this episode is rooted in archaeological hard evidence, primary scriptural documents, and established fact. No bullshit. No wild speculation, no what if. Cannabis residue has been found in some of the oldest and most sacred sites on Earth, including in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Full stop. There's also lots and lots and lots of talk in the Bible about, and I'm making the air quotes, and you could see them if you were a Patreon subscriber, incense. 
incense is mentioned about a million times in the Bible. And what you need to know is that, yes, that was basically hashish. As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee, but we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth, to burn incense unto the queen of heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto her, as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings, and our princes, in the cities of Judah, and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then had we plenty of victuals, and were well, and saw no evil. But since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things, and have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. Open your eyes, sheeple! Oh, uh, sorry, went a little aggro rogan on you there. That's not what we're about here on Great Moments in Weed History. But, yeah, man, turns out the biggest lies about weed are also the oldest lies about weed. Also, just as a heads up, this conversation is kind of a lot of mind-blowing info to take in all at once. I personally listened to every episode of this show multiple times while editing the interviews, and this time, I truly learned something new each and every time. And if you want to really get in the weeds, pun, on this subject, I highly recommend checking out Chris's books, which go much further in depth and are chock full of sources and citations. But first, I say settle in for the kind of stoned, philosophical conversation you always hope to have with a guy with a huge beard that you're getting stoned with, but uh, let's be honest, uh, doesn't always work out that way. Okay, I just pushed go on my PAX 3 to vape up some beautiful blue face from Fig Farms that I picked up at the Emerald Cup Award Show this week. Blue face was the best in show winner, and for good reason, I was honored to be an edibles judge at this year's Emerald Cup, and you can hear all about it if you sign up and check out our secret sessions. All right, green light means go on the packs. Can't wait to get this blue face into my face. But what if you, yes, you, don't have any award-winning weed to get lit on right now, or anything at all, or you just don't have it rolled up or put in your packs, uh, you know, you're freaking out, man, and you're like, my mind's gonna get blown, but I want, I would like to get a little lit before my mind gets blown. He said it like five or eight times. What am I to do? You know what to do. You've been listening to this show. Or if you're very, very brand new, let me tell you. You just hit pause, and you use that time to roll yourself a joint, or to split a blunt, or to pack a bong, or to endabulate a dab, or if you really want to taste those terps, puff puff packs right along with me. I can promise you one thing, when you hit unpause, and you are ready, we'll all be ready for another... Great moment in weed history. All right, Chris. Bennett, this is a conversation I've been looking forward to for a long time. Welcome to Great Moments in Weed History, and we are talking with a real and true cannabis historian today. Hey, wonderful to be here, David. Great to be on your show. Absolutely. So I I, want to start the conversation by giving you your flowers, as they say. One of the most popular episodes of this podcast has been our episode about Jesus's use of cannabis as a healing herb. And uh, as noted, uh, that scholarly work in the modern era uh, was at least brought to me through your writings. And now you have a new book, Cannabis, Lost Sacrament of the Ancient World, where you're revisiting that story 
and many others. So can you just tell us what's your latest take on that story? And then I want to really delve into cannabis throughout the ancient world with you. Absolutely. Well, the new book, it kind of focuses more on the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible or the tonic as it's uh, known in Israel. Not so much the New Testament. There's a chapter where I kind of summarize a little bit, uh, but it's a real focus is on the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament references. And uh, what inspired me to go back over this again was a recent archaeological paper that came out on a, a, a temple site in Tel Arad, Jerusalem. And this was an 8th century BCE uh, temple site that uh, it appears even in the Bible and stuff like that. It was known of. And uh, in this temple site, there was a miniature version of the Holy of Holies, which was in Jerusalem itself. And in this uh, miniature temple uh, version of the Holy of Holies sat two altars. Archaeologists uh, uh, did analysis of, of what was burnt on these altars. They found one altar was used specifically for burning frankincense. And the other altar was used specifically for burning cannabis resins, particularly hashish is, is what the paper says, either a, some sort of cannabis resin product or actual hashish. This is fascinating to me because based on the etymological linguistic research of the uh, anthropologist Sula Bennett, who in 1936 uh, wrote about these references, which you know as well, uh, these Hebrew references to the terms cannabosum and kana, uh, which occur in the Hebrew Bible in a number of places. And uh, she said these were references to cannabis that were actually mistranslated as calamus uh, when the Hebrew texts were translated into the Greek. You know, it's important to remember that Hebrew up until a century ago was basically a dead language. Nobody was speaking it. It was revived, right? So there's this big gap in, in history where this was just a written language, basically, you know, in libraries and things like that. Maybe a few scholars knew it, but it wasn't like spoken. And so a, a lot of our history of it uh, uh, was lost. And we do know that in the Greek translations of the Hebrew, that there was mistranslations of other plants. And so there's a lot of debate about this term cannabosum. You know, some people say the, the, the Greeks were right. and This was a reference to calamus. Not so much amongst Hebrew scholars. There's been a number of suggestions from camel grass, ginger grass, uh, uh, other plants as well. Uh, um, so there's a, this, just this term with a variety of candidates. But when you look at them in the context of the biblical storyline, what is interesting is it's undeniably talking about some sort of psychoactive substance. And it tells a story of a plant that was at one time very sacred to the aged Hebrews that eventually fell out of favor and became prohibited. And when you look at the references in Jeremiah, it seems to be because of his association uh, with the queen of heaven. Now, what's interesting about Telerad is that there's two altars there. There was also two standing stones at one time, and it believes that two deities were worshipped there. They found an inscription that said the house of Yahweh, which identifies the biblical gods worship there. But there was also evidence of the worship of an ancient goddess, some refer to as the Hebrew goddess, and this is the goddess Asherah. And she was worshipped alongside Yahweh as his companion. And this is a historical fact. This isn't like, you know, some sort of thing I've come up with, some sort of uh, interpretation. There's been a variety of inscriptions found from that time period, which refer to Yahweh and his Asherah. And they found figurines of the goddess at the site in Tel Arad where this, uh, this, this cannabis resin was burned. And in the Jeremiah reference, like in the initial references to cannabosum in Exodus 30.23, it appears as a holy anointing oil used in the tent of the meeting. And here Moses is said to cover himself in this oil and burn some of this oil on the altar of incense and then speak to the Lord in the pillar of smoke. So a very similar situation. This uh, miniature temple site uh, in Tel Arad was about the size of a broom closet. So great for hot boxing. Uh, <laughs> but in the Jer Jeremiah reference, Jeremiah is like, well, what do I care from this canna uh, from a distant land? Your frankincense does not please me. Your canna does not please me. And he rejects it. And this is related to Jeremiah 44, where he's shown in conflict with Israelites who had uh, survived the uh, attacks of the Assyrians and Babylonians in Egypt, who were continuing to worship the queen of heaven and burning incense to her. Jeremiah blames the fall of Israel and Jerusalem uh, on this use of uh, incense being burnt to the queen of heaven. And this is the same goddess. 
We are always getting blamed for everything that's not our fault. Yeah. <laughs> As burners of incense and uh, medicinal plants. So our, our our listenership here is is definitely all in on weed, definitely all in on history. We are not uh, a group of biblical scholars, uh, but I love going deep on this stuff. And uh, just to kind of summarize what I heard. You know, we talked in our own episode about this controversy over the translation of cannabosum. And if you once you can accept that it's cannabis based on all the evidence in the texts and then just the obvious fact that this same plant cannabis is being used medicinally in much the same ways as described in the New Testament you know, I, I don't even feel we need to have that argument on this program. What you're saying, though, now is this new archaeological evidence. So things that happened a long time ago, but that we are discovering now through uh, the exploration of these archaeological sites is showing that in the Old Testament, so hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the events uh, described in the New Testament at the time of Jesus's life, this holy of holiest type uh, area within a temple was used specifically for the ritualistic uh, burning and consumption of hashish. And so that is just sort of the, you know, final piece of evidence. Absolutely. You know, now it's a historical fact. There was speculation, and it seemed that the cannabosum stuff was destined to be a theory, a hypothetical theory, right? But the thing about this Telerad uh, in relation to these cannabosum references is, is that in three of the five references to cannabosum, it, it also mentions frankincense. And this is what is also uh, uh, found on the other altar there. So this helps to identify that we're specifically talking about the same thing, and it's also referenced in the context. And this is like something that none of these other uh, uh, um, claimants to the Cannabossum title could ever come up with. This is archaeological proof that it was used in this exact manner. And as well, what we, you know, the, one of the reasons why this temple site was so well preserved is because it was canceled purposely. Uh, during the reigns of Hezekiah and Josiah. And this is right around the time of this reference of Jeremiah as well, right? And this all has to do uh, with the rise of monotheism, the worship of one deity alone, right? Originally, we know from the archaeological evidence in the region that there was a variety of deities worshipped, and Yahweh was worshipped alongside them. Uh, um, it wasn't like a monotheistic situation until about the 8th or 7th century BCE. Uh, 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 um, biblical scholars nowadays see this uh, happening uh, around the time of uh, the, the King Josiah in the 7th century, right? And this is when this temple was buried and destroyed, and this is when all this suppression of this worship of this goddess that was worshipped alongside Yahweh took place, Asherah. And we know that other Near Eastern goddesses that were related to Asherah, like, um, you got to think, like, just like how languages take on their own flavor as they split off, you know, like English, French, German, they all started from the Indo-European language, but now they're the distinct languages, right? Likewise, with the worship in religion of deities, they can start from one deity, but then they go to different regions and they take on new myths and stuff like that, and they start to split off. Well, Asherah is related to a lot of other Near Eastern goddesses like uh, Ishtar and Asherah and Inanna. And all these goddesses have references to cannabis uh, in, 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 their, in their history. And this is under the name, the Assyrian name and Babylonian name, Kanabu. And uh, we know that uh, cannabis uh, ointments and incenses were used in the cults of Ishara and Ishtar, as well as a drink was poured out in honor of Ishtar uh, that contained cannabis. And we also know that large amounts of cannabis was delivered to the Temple of Banana uh, because there is actual inscriptions and stuff about this. And it's interesting, you know, like, we're, you know, when we take a look at today, um, say the right wing kind of, uh, you know, uh, hate on cannabis and the counterculture and stuff like that. 
Well, this is very similar to what was happening back then with the takeover of these patriarchal monotheistic religions. The goddess religions were actually very LGBTQT friendly. There was like a whole class of priestess, uh, you know, uh, trans priestess, uh, referred to as the Quetishim that actually sat within the temple of Jerusalem itself. They even mentioned this in the Bible and that rise to monotheism saw the prohibition of all these cults and stuff like that. But cannabis was certainly a central role of it. When you read Jeremiah 44, it, you know, it's just like a pot protest uh, with the establishment, the way the crowd and Jeremiah are interacting and, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the, how they want to stick with burning incense to the queen of heaven because things were good when they did that. There's in many ways a, a revival of this happening right now in our own time period. You know, Asherah really is the personification of Mother Earth. And, you know, there's this whole kind of greening of the world happening around cannabis that really parallels this agent situation in a lot of ways. One good place to always come back to in these discussions of prohibition in our own time and, and any time is this is just very clearly and objectively a beneficial plant. When you look at the medicinal properties of this plant, they are undeniable. For the spiritual aspects, you know, that's more personal, less objective, uh, you know, but nothing rational will ever explain the prohibition of this plant. Nothing rational will ever explain the stigmatizing and criminalization of this plant unless you see the plant as inherently anti-authoritarian, that there's something in cannabis consciousness that makes you at least question whatever form of authority is being imposed upon you. When we look in the ancient world, that's often, if not always, religious, and, and that there could be a governmental uh, administrative function of that religion, but that's who was governing and organizing the ancient world. When we look at it in our own time, it could be the government, and certainly the other oppositions are things like the pharmaceutical industry that sees it as a threat because of these benefits. Um, but going back, as you say, to these earliest prohibitions, it is reflective of this desire to, in essence, eliminate cannabis consciousness as expressed through some of these other, uh, as they would see it, competing spiritual practices and traditions. And so cannabis, I would say, and I, I'm curious your thoughts on this as somebody who is uh, steeped in this world and in this history, um, my sense of it is by its nature, cannabis is always going to be, for want of a better word, associated with the groovier takes on spirituality, the inclusive takes on spirituality, open and loving takes on spirituality, and that that is a threat to this new emerging monotheism that says there is one deity everything is top down and your role as a human individual is not to commune with the deity which cannabis as a spiritual practice is really about and people experience that in their own lives today but to say no this monotheistic authoritarian form of human control is about you listening to us and us telling you what to do. And is is that broadly how you see? I think there's something to that. Yeah, I think there's something to that. You know, I think there's a religions of the book and religions of experience. And cannabis is always in the realm of the experiential, you know. And if you take a look at like groups like sadhus in uh, India, dervishes in the Islamic world and fakirs and stuff that have ritually used cannabis, they're always on the outer edges of the culture. You know what I mean? They're the rebels and stuff. A lot of the prohibition actually resulted in those countries 
from their, the, the rejection of the British Raj and other European uh, rulers. There's whole books written about this cannabis and colonialism situation that are quite fascinating to follow because these guys just were not taking it. They're not swayed by the, the riches of the West. You know, they were going to continue to do what they did and live their life as free people. And that was a real challenge to the authority of, of the Europeans. You know what I mean? And so cannabis prohibition follows as part of that to keep people in control because it definitely makes you question, you know, I'm reminded of an Islamic tale about a, a sultan, you know, and he's like, you know, very, very cruel guy, executes people and he says to his servants, okay, I want somebody to make a chain out of sand for me, you know? And uh, the first guy tries, can't, does it, he's executed. It gets to this other guy who's a known weed head and he says, well, if you show me how to do it first, I'll gladly make it for you. And that's kind of like symbolic, I think, of the sort of like avenue of the cannabis guy and the questioning, the the kind of mischiefness of it and stuff. And I, I think that's that's part of cannabis culture, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, 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 one thing we love to do on this program as we visit different eras of history is to try to really zero in on what was the cannabis itself like at that time. You know, we know Willie Nelson just turned 90 years old, a huge friend of the podcast. Shout out. We did an episode. Uh, our first ever episode was about Willie smoking weed on the roof of the White House, but we know he smoked weed for the first time in 1957. That's very different weed than what you'd find at a dispensary now or what you might find jazz musicians smoking in the 1920s. What, if anything, do we know about the cannabis and in particular uh, the concentrates, the hashish, uh, that you might find at the uh, altar at Hellerad or yeah. uh, in, in these different uh, time periods? Well, you know, the cannabis was imported. That's one of the things that also the Cannabossum and the Tellerad find corroborate is, you know, the, the canna comes from a distant land in, in, in the canna references. And they're saying that this uh, Tellerad site was uh, part of the Spice Trail, the trade route, right? You know what I mean? Uh, and they believe that it was, was uh, imported. And uh, this is probably likely uh, uh, the same sort of cannabis that we find in China with the Indo-European rides, uh, the Gushi. And you probably heard of these 2,700-year-old sensors and, uh, that they found, wooden sensors that were used in burials that cannabis was been burnt on. As well, there was a couple of uh, tombs where uh, female cannabis was found in a, in a basket, about a kilo, very well-preserved, green still because of the dry, cold climate and a bouquet of a bouquet of cannabis strewn over another individual on a burial site there. And this was cultivated female cannabis that had, you know, was was uh, grown to have psychoactive properties. It was cultivated specifically for, for its, you know, for that quality. And this is like 27, 2800 years ago. You described what you would find in the holiest of holies, which is like, yep. you know, you take a sacred site and then you make a sacred site within it. So it, it couldn't be more uh, of a of a heightened area to find these hashish altars. Do we have a sense of what methods of concentrating uh, uh, the plant's psychoactive components uh, to make this hashish they would have been using in that era? That's, you know, left to some speculation. A lot of, like, uh, 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 the Assyrian and, and references and stuff, they refer to extractions in oil. Uh, they also refer to sifting. Olive oil, like in, say, the, the Exodus 3023, that would make something you could burn and, and have psychoactive properties. You know, it's not as, say, as good as alcohol for extraction, but olive oils actually can get a lot of THC out of the cannabis. So you would definitely get something psychoactive. And I think, you know, another important thing when you're talking about these cannabosum references, you have to look at the counterpart, Kanabu in the Assyrian text, and you see almost identical references. You know what I mean? It's uh, referred to as an item in the sacred rites, and uh, they refer to cannabis oil, which is, you know, used in the sacred rites and stuff. So it's, it's obviously a, a very similar process, and the Hebrew is written 
at the time of Assyrian domination and, and cooperation even, right? So these, these Hebrew references may actually be adapted from already existing uh, Assyrian uh, techniques of ecstasy in the temple. Cannabis-infused wines was another very popular uh, method of ingestion in the ancient world. And we see this in Zoroastrian references, uh, people drinking like seven golden cups of infused wines. And, you know, you can't uh, underestimate the influence of the Zoroastrian cosmology on both the Hebrew and Christian cosmologies. Many the ideas like the end of the world, uh, uh, heaven and hell, these are all kind of actually come in via Zoroastrianism into these uh, other faiths. And the, and the individuals that had these visions were often uh, under the influence of this cannabis-infused wine. There's the tale of Ardu Viraf, who saw both heaven and hell under the influence of uh, cannabis-infused wines, and also King Vishtaspa, uh, who ingested cannabis-infused wines before accepting Ahuram Mazda, the god of the Zoroastrian religion, as the sole deity. And uh, he had visions of the end of the world that kind of parallel the book of Revelations. In another book, uh, my book, Cannabis and the Soma Solution, I think I make a very good case, which I still hold to, uh, that the Vedic beverage, which inspired the Hin Indian religion, and uh, the Zoroastrian Homa, which predates these cannabis-infused wine references that I'm talking about, uh, were both cannabis preparations. And I think this is related to these uh, Chinese uh, groups that I was talking about earlier, right? The Chinese name for cannabis, you know, was Huma. And this was is thought to mean either fire cannabis or Scythian cannabis. There's different types of ma. Ma means cannabis, but huma either means fire cannabis or Scythian cannabis. And it's related to what these guys were burning on these braziers, right? And uh, there's a linguistic theory that's not my own, but uh, uh, that from, from linguists that this term huma eventually became Heoma, and this is the name of the Zoroastrian sacred drink that became Soma in India, was uh, um, uh, the same preparation, right? And these Chinese groups, they were Indo-Europeans, they weren't actually Han Chinese, indigenous Chinese. They were there, these Indo-Europeans were there from about 2000 to 400 BC that were burning and cultivating cannabis. Uh, uh, they were involved with the Scythians, another well-known cannabis group, which I know you're familiar with, uh, that burned cannabis in tents. Uh, they would be, take little braziers, much like the Holy of Holy situation in Israel. They'd go in like a little teepee-like structure and put the burning cannabis in there and then stick their head in and inhale the fumes. These guys also drank cannabis. We found gold, they found gold goblets that had uh, evidence of both opium and cannabis in the, in the Scythian burial sites, as well as other drinking vessels that had residues of cannabis. And one of the agent names of the Scythians in this region was the Haoma Vargra, the Haoma gatherers, right? And they transferred the cannabis from this region in China into the Bactria Margiana archaeological complex, which is in the outer regions of Afghanistan, where a Russian archaeologist, Victor Serenati, found a temple site size of a football field. Half the temple site was dedicated to making a sacred beverage, which Serenati believes was the Haoma. And the evidence there indicated that cannabis and ephedra were used together. Ephedra is still used for making Haoma. Uh, um, and in some cases, opium was later added, which kind of corroborates with these gold cups of the Scythian Haoma Varga. So I think there's a very good case for this. And, you know, if we take a look at that in combination with these Cannabossum references, we're talking about the reemergence of the sacrament at the core of like Hinduism, Zoroastrianism, Shintoism, uh, Buddhism even, you know, it comes into this. There's some really good stuff in Buddhism as well. Judaism and Christianity. And I should mention, you know, in relation to Christianity, that that Telerad site from the 8th century BCE is by no means the only evidence of cannabis in the Holy Land. There's also evidence of uh, uh, um, cannabis fibers being used at a number of sites, one of them a ritual site related to the goddess Ashra, but also ropes and other fibers. And uh, um, in the 3rd or 4th century AD, uh, they found evidence of topical cannabis used both topically and burnt uh, in, the, in the mummified remains of a girl who died during childbirth. And it was being used as an aid for childbirth. And this is a, early on in the Christian period, which seems to corroborate a, a, an extended history 
of this plant's role as a spiritual tool and a medicine that expands over a thousand years in the ancient world, just in the, in Israel. Even for uh, someone very attuned to this plant and very open to this history, it's 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 almost overwhelming to take in. You are dealing in historical fact and making pretty. Uh, clear and obvious inferences from things. This isn't like a theory based on speculation. It's it's uh, based on existing archaeological evidence. Absolutely. And so that begs the question, what is wrong with religious scholarship that this has all been erased and that this has all been denied for so long? And your point about the centrality of this plant in these religions, it's, it's not like, oh, and sometimes they, uh, you know, ate this berry and we proved it. We, you know, it's like this is a central sacramental part of a broad range of spiritual practices in the ancient world uh, that are very geographically diverse from each other, that are diverse from each other in terms of the actual uh, deities involved, and that this has been taken from us uh, by force in many, many cases. These uh, spiritual practices didn't just fizzle out they were actively repressed and eliminated by spiritual practices that saw them as threatening. Spiritual colonization. And I would say then, when you take that in, you've got to look at the world we live in now and say, this is the result of that. The condition of planet Earth and humanity on it in the year 2023 is the result of a world in which this plant and these spiritual paths were often violently suppressed and eliminated. And when we look at the religion that we have now, that so many people are are adherents of or under the thumb of, whether they like it or not, that we see, I think, as often very, very repressive forces in people's lives, telling us who to love, who to marry, what to do with our bodies, making enemies of people uh, who, who bring them no harm for this kind of push towards theocracy. You know, many people currently live in a theocracy, and it all is happening against the backdrop of a real renaissance in our understanding of cannabis. And I'm wondering like what you make of that, what you make of this current, you know, taking your historian hat off and being a person of 2023, what do you take from the fact that we are seemingly rethinking and re-embracing cannabis, at least in, in parts of the world right now in this moment? To be honest with you, I don't know that historian's the right title for me. I kind of, I had a religious experience over 30 years ago. I probably told you about it at some point. And I kind of see myself as a religious reformer, you know, like that's what I'm doing. But I think there's a place where science and religion meet. And that's where the tree of life grows, you know. And so I think it's important when you're dealing with something so sacred that, uh, be more than just your personal opinion and stuff, you know. So I've been on a mission for like 30 years of like trying to understand this situation, you know what I mean? I'm trying to fully grasp it based on this religious experience that I had. And I've always known that uh, there wouldn't be a real discussion on this until things like industrial hemp became known, you know, until medical marijuana became known, until these things became familiar to people. Now you can go in any corner store and get CBD. And I have the little ladies talking about cannabis to you. In order for cannabis to become this sacred thing that it once was, Maybe in some way all this was necessary, you know what I mean? It's like the suppression of cannabis in a lot of ways turned it into this incredible symbol of freedom to people everywhere. You know, and I'm here in Canada, it's like totally legal here. Like, it's amazing how quick the stigma 
is gone. You know what I mean? You can go into a liquor store here in Nova Scotia where I am and go to the back and there's a cannabis. There's a little ladies and everybody buying cannabis like it was never ever had any bad thing about it. It's just completely gone. And anybody saying things like cannabis is the root of mass shooting is a bold-faced liar, especially when they're right next door to Canada, uh, you know, where we have like less than 30% of the amounts of gun violence and things like that and legal marijuana, you know. So this is obviously, you know, like if you, you know, this is not, not like a a, a, a a small controlled test study. This is like a 35 million pe- people, you know, country, civilized country, right next door where pot is legal. And we, you know, all the, all the naysayers, everything they said about it that would happen if we legalized cannabis has turned out to be completely false. None of us happened. Yeah. What's happening with cannabis, man? This is the sacred moment. You know what I mean? This is like the creator putting out the green head of the cannabis leaf and going, there's another way, man. There's another way. The pain and the terror that was brought to our community on an individual level. And then, of course, the targeting of specific communities, people of color, people with less money can never be redeemed. But by pushing us into the margins of society, not just people who smoke weed, but people who identify with this plant, who represent this plant in their hearts, and who wanted to push back and have pushed back against those prohibitions. In that marginalization, they gave us a place to create a community, to create a resistance, to create a cross cultural form of fighting back against not just cannabis prohibition, but this authoritarianism. And um, yes, there are plenty of Trump people who smoke weed every day. There are plenty of Nazis who think uh, 420 is the greatest day ever for two reasons. Yeah. Uh, but that's an outlier. My My great honor in writing about this plant and in creating media about this plant. I would have smoked weed every day, no matter what the fuck I was doing with my life. And uh, But the honor of it is to meet people from all over the world, um, many in person when I've been fortunate enough to travel as a journalist or to do events, and increasingly through this podcast, hearing from people from all over the world. And we share this commonality of not just being oppressed, but being oppressed for something that is so clearly good, for something that is so clearly a beneficial plant that has every gift to offer us as people. And so when you understand that this is happening all over the world and that it is happening specifically to suppress something that is, you know, even if you attach no spiritual realm to it, but you see as one example, a small child with a severe seizure disorder uh, ingest a natural extract of a plant and those seizures stop. I mean, what the fuck is wrong with you? If that, if that alone doesn't make you rethink yeah. these prohibitions, we are up against something so large and so, uh, ugly. And that is representative of every authoritarian movement we've ever seen on this planet, but it has made us strong. It has made us interconnected. And I do think it has helped us raise a flag for something that's uh, bigger than this plant, frankly, that is just about the survival of humanity as we, at least you and I, and I think people listening to this show, um, understand the terms. And then on the opposite side, I I think something really interesting is these monotheistic religions often have this doomsday element to them, often have this apocalyptic vision. They're not even pretending that their top-down, single-deity, authoritarian, we-tell-you-what-to-do 
every fucking second of your life and kill off all our enemies way they don't even pretend it leads to somewhere good they're just like then the world's gonna end and then you'll get something good in an ill-defined afterlife and this plant i think teaches us to look for that in the world we live in Yeah, it's about life and sustainability on this planet, man. It's about life and experience, you know, the beauty of it. And and I think that, you know, you know, you really see in these agent references is often involved in funerary cults. And I think it's like, you know, they saw how life continues within, in the cultivation of plants and, and, and stuff like that. Just as we produce our children, we produce the plants every year and it's a continuation. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's what it's about. You know, it's not about death, man. It's about life and sustainability. You know, when we were naked with the fibers of her cloth, she dressed us. When we were hungry with a protein of her seed, she fed us. You know, when we were shaking with epilepsy, going blind with eye diseases, you know, it provided the medicine to heal that, man. You know what I mean? And and this is like a sacred, a sacred thing and a sacred moment. And we were at a point where we have two futures. We could go the way of Trump and the, the big oil and the big pharma and shit like that. We can go the greener way, you know what I mean? With taking our technology with us and applying that to this greener world and greener possibilities. Hopefully, cannabis helps leads the way to to, to to that as well. I would love to bring this discussion home with hearing from you a, a little about what you described as your epiphany around this, how that changed sure. the trajectory of your life. And just want to stress to people, read these books like we are skimming these discussions of course in this uh podcast we can we can have a discussion and highlight these certain facts but uh, delve into this history if this is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I do want to emphasize that my books, I really try to stick to things like archaeological, anthropological studies, all that type of stuff. And I really lay out references. And that's, you know, like my, my bibliography are 30, 40 pages. So I try to keep my personal experience minimal uh, in that in that presentation. But about 1989, 90, in the winter there, I had this very powerful religious experience with cannabis. Um, and a number of things uh, led up to that experience. At that time, I was living in a small little fishing town on the west coast of Vancouver Island in British Columbia, logging and fishing town. And I was working as a night security guy at a fish plant and had a lot of free time on my hands and stuff. And a number of events were taking place uh, in in that time period that led to this. One of these was there had been come uh, international protests in the town I lived in over the logging of the last coastal uh, rainforest, the Clackwood Sound. And uh, they were going to cut down this last huge coastal rainforest. People started showing up from all over the world and protesting this. And, you know, I'd grown up with logging. My brother was actually a union camp chairman for loggers, you know, and uh, um, it was weird to see all these environmentalists start showing up. Another thing that happened was in Canada, there had been a lot of news stories about uh, um, Catholic priests that had been molesting kids at this orphanage here on the East Coast. And I was like, whoa, that's really weird. And I started looking up all these stories about uh, priests molesting kids. And I thought, I'm going to read the Bible. I started reading it, couldn't get into it, stuck at the night watchman office and forgot about it. Uh, Then a friend of mine taped this documentary about hemp. And at that time, people didn't even know the word hemp anymore. It kind of been lost from the language. I grew pot. I'd never heard anybody talk about hemp. And all these industrial uses. In Canada, it was illegal to even sell high times, bongs, anything like that at this time. And he showed me this documentary. And I was like, whoa. And I started looking it up in encyclopedias. And sure enough, there were all these industrial uses. And I started thinking, well, maybe people could, you know, cut back on the log. And then one night, uh, uh, um, I'm in the night watchman's office. And uh, the Gulf War had started around the same time. And I knew that Babylon had sat in an age in Iraq. And I was reading a newspaper. And it had an ad for a sermon uh, by uh, Pat Robertson. <laughs> 
was uh, Revelations 18, the fall of Babylon. And behind me, had pictured tanks and jets. And when I read that, I was like, oh, wow, these guys are tying in the book of Revelation with Iraq. You know, and I'd seen the omen when I was a kid. I think ever since then, I had kind of like an apocalyptic kind of mentality in my head, even though I wasn't particularly religious. So I grabbed the Bible I had in my night watchman office. And I start, so I'm going to read the book of Revelation right now, see what this is all about. And I read at the beginning, and John is, you know, he's at the beginning of the Bible, John the prophet, he's given a scroll, and he takes it in his mouth, and he eats it. It tastes as sweet as honey. Then he swallows it, and it turns bitter in his stomach, and he begins to prophesy. And I'm like, what did he eat, you know? And I'm reading further, and it's like, and they are describing the guys, or they're all wearing sackcloth, and they were given much incense to offer with all the prayers of the saints, and they're building clouds of incense. I'm kind of going, this is pretty trippy. And I got to the end of the Bible, and I read Revelations 22, and it says, on either side of the river of life stood the tree of life, bearing 12 manners of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And when I read that, I had this like really powerful experience, like light was just pouring into me and that this was a reference to cannabis and all its industrial applications and its leaves healing for the nations, the medicine and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I started tripping out. And I called my first wife up at the time and she thought I was having some sort of mental breakdown. And luckily I didn't get taken to a hospital or something. Because people do have experiences like this and then end up getting medicated. <laughs> um, but the next day I woke up and I was like, was there anything to that or was I just like really high and tripping out or what? And I look out at these bald mountains, you know, the clear cut mountains. And I was like, well, I believe this industrial hemp is true. I'm going to start pushing that as an alternative, you know, and I started being a hemp activist. Uh, first one I knew of in BC. Uh, um, and I thought if there was anything to this religious experience I had, then somebody else somewhere else will have had a similar experience. And so I started collecting everything I could find whenever I saw something on religion. I'd stick it in a file and photocopy it and slowly over, you know, it just kind of uh, expanded from there. And now here I am 30 odd years later and uh, five books deep into this stuff. And uh, uh, here we are. And I believe in that experience. You know, I think it was like a collective memory or, or something like that, because cannabis really is the tree of life. One of the things I get into uh, in the new book is actually the whole relationship with the Eden mythology. And uh, it's really fascinating stuff when you look at it, because it really does have a role in it all. That's amazing. And you know, one spiritual practice we didn't hit on is uh, Rastafari, and, and we will often hear uh, herb or cannabis or ganja is the healing of the nations. And that, of course, ties back to the biblical reference yeah. you just mentioned. And Chris, I, I just got to say, you know, that, that, that experience and all of the scholarship and advocacy that has come from it has been such a boon and a gift to our cannabis community. Reading your articles very early in my career as a cannabis journalist opened me up uh, to ideas that, to be frank and honest, I'm a skeptical person. I'm a bit of a uh, agnostic at best type person. Um, but you don't have to be religious to see these stories in the ancient world through these spiritual practices. And it could just be human experience for you. You know what I mean? It's still really rele relevant because it puts us where we are today, you know, and my own religious beliefs are wrapped up with things like the idea of instinct and collective unconscious and, and think the big bang and things like that. You know what I mean? And I think in that realm as well, there's an area where these things meet, you know, Absolutely. Well, I encourage everybody, if you have been as fascinated by this discussion as I have, to check out uh, Cannabis, Lost Sacrament of the Ancient World, and Chris, your other books leading up to it. This has been a, a true journey into the roots of weed history little weed pun there to take us out thank you so so much for joining us on great moments in weed history chris thank you very much for having me david it's been my pleasure well that's the show folks thanks so much for listening and if you stuck around this long please consider supporting us on patreon 
You could put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com, and that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanstalk, a.k.a. Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.